Welcome back to the Agile Administrator. I'm Julie, Director of Research from Participate. And I'm Allison. I'm an education strategist at Participate. Okay, this is the last of our three-part series in communities of practice and school leaders. Ah, great topic. Yeah, and I thought, Allison, um, I really am glad that you're here with me today to talk about this. I know that many schools and districts are just starting this process of, of thinking about communities of practice in their building, but... The grade level team and the PLC, the professional learning communities, were school reforms that came in kind of in the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of communities of practice have been there. But um, the problem, I think, is sometimes when it gets institutionalized, which we want because we want to like make it part of the right, system, right. then it just becomes kind of rote and some of them work and some of them don't. And I thought your perspective as a, as a school principal and also as a, in the district office as an associate superintendent, where you thought they worked and where you thought they didn't work work and and what were some of the elements of when they worked? I would say from my experience, when I saw a true successful community of of folks working together, it was when they had established great relationships with one another. There was trust. um, They valued the knowledge that they each brought to the table. And with that relationship building was the culture within the school that allowed for that. That's right. When there was leadership in place that allowed for that culture to be there, that that this was a place not only for learning for children, but it was a place of learning for adults. Mm-hmm. So when that whole atmosphere is established, when you've got relationships and trust, people are more apt to, to work together for that common good. Um, really having what I call a unity of purpose, mm-hmm. and they feel empowered along with the responsibility that they have to really make a difference in, in their classrooms and in the, in the lives of their students. And I think something that you said struck me that um, when grade level teams, I'm just sort of stuck on this idea that if communities of practice have really been established in schools, and a lot of times that is in that grade level team, sometimes mm-hmm. they're vertical teams. Mm-hmm. What are some things, did you ever have a situation where you had to kind of come in to kind of when relationships were going south. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's something about, that's something specific I think school leaders can can be paying attention to is that you can have a community of practice where not everybody's in love with each other, right? There Correct. are ways this is a professional environment. Um, so what were some strategies that you had when you saw that there was some, you know, distrust or where these communities weren't working very well? Well, one thing was to be visible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would actually be you know, in attendance uh, at, okay. at some of these grade level planning meetings. And so just having myself there and then just being that ear to listen mm-hmm. and then prompting with questions around the purpose of why we were there, you right. know, around the the student. Not that we were just going to talk about the field trip that's coming up or the, mm-hmm. the bus duty line, whatever it happened to be. It was really trying to focus the conversation around the right purpose. Right. Um, and when I could do that and get them thinking, and then I always try to to build off the strengths that they brought into the room. Mm-hmm. So if I had a, if I had say two teachers that were maybe at odds over something, but I know they could both bring something to the table that was going to benefit students ultimately, then it was about okay, let's build on the strength that you have and that was where I would prompt and ask questions. And so that means you have to know your teachers. So, yes. <laughs> you know, I think we like we always talk to teachers like know your kid and you know, really know the students in their kind of full identity, not just, mm-hmm. you know, um, these surface things. And so the same thing goes with teachers. If you're a leader and you don't know these people, um, it's very hard to do that because exactly. I think that's exactly the right strategy, which is what do these people bring to the table and leaving aside maybe potential personality things that sometimes mm-hmm. don't work. 
The teacher right. must remain the student if the teacher is to grow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, let's uh, get started with the interview and then hear what Kim's perspective on this um, because she's an instructional coach. So yes. she has a, a different kind of position and, and sees it um, in interesting ways. So let's uh, let's take a listen. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to part three and the final segment in discussing communities of practice and peer review with our very close friend and colleague, Kim Murphitt. Hi, Kim. Hi, Julie. For those that were not able to join us in the first two episodes, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm an IB coordinator in Cabarrus County in North Carolina, and I have been in education for 20 years. Oof. But yeah, 20 years. Wow. 20 years. And so I've served as a regular education teacher and as a global educator, a curriculum writer, instructional coach, and a mentor. And um, also have had the great experience of working alongside the education strategy team at Participate, where I work primarily with peer review, both for um, global schools and for communities of practice. So today we're going to talk about communities of practice and school leaders. So you've worn a lot of hats, coaching, mentoring, you know, I'm sure you've worked alongside and and have really filled the role of a school leader. How do you think communities of practice in the ways that we've described before, the domain, the practice, the community, how does that support a school leader, um, both as a school leader, but also how does it help them support their teacher? So, you know, I think that it can do two things. So first of all, it gives those in their school that don't have leadership opportunities um, ways to become more involved and active in contributing to the professional growth of others. Because I sometimes I feel like educators feel like they need to have an official title or you know be invited sometimes to mm-hmm. lead things within their school, and um, or they just don't even know how to get started in that work. So by having communities of practice, that helps them become more active and involved as leaders because everyone can lead inside a community of practice and become involved in that, in that work. And then secondly, I think that it offers the leaders an opportunity to grow as well, because I know that just because you've become a leader in a school doesn't mean that you suddenly don't need anybody. (laughs) And we've talked about that, about how sometimes as school leaders, you know, that's a very lonely and isolated Mm -hmm. position to be in. And so I think probably sometimes more than ever, you need support and opportunities to grow because I, again, I think sometimes those are limited once you reach a certain uh, level within a school. And so that gives an opportunity for you to get those pieces of support for yourself and also to contribute to others as well. Do you have experiences with school leaders that either have not been a part of a community practice or have and and what you saw them experience or or what you experienced even in that role when when you felt isolated or when you found a group that could support you in a leadership role? Yes, I mean I have. I know, I know that sometimes when you become um, when you come outside of the classroom you sort of feel like you're on this island by yourself. And if, if no one in your school or in your district is doing something that you do, that can become very, very lonely. You feel just vulnerable because you, you don't have your people, you know, you don't have your, your team to support you. And, and no matter how much I think that districts try to support that work sometimes that, mm-hmm. that it can still feel very lonely and isolated. And, 
And I can, I think sometimes that that can make people sort of see, have that tunnel vision of like, we have to keep doing things like this way because that's the way it was done before I took this position or, you know, there's just the way it's always been done. And when you join in to communities of practice, sometimes even beyond your school or your district, then you can start to to gain all these new ideas and ways of seeing things that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to see before. Are there any specific examples of communities of practice that you've seen for school leaders that you think are really effective? Well, I know that I I was just talking to a a principal just very recently, and she was talking about the leadership courses that are offered through Participate and how she had felt that, you know, as a principal, it's kind of like when when you become the principal, like, where's the training for me now? Like, I, I don't get that anymore. And I was kind of surprised by that because I, I have such respect for administrators and principals and I didn't ever think of it through their lens. But yeah, like having an opportunity to to learn with other principals or other administrators and take courses for your own professional growth that maybe isn't necessarily connected to a university, you know, like having just this community to grow within. She was just so excited about that. How do you think that school leaders can sort of build space inside the school day for communities practice? So you have your PLC time, but what other ways can they support teachers in in taking advantage of this whole kind of concept where you want teachers to find others both within the school and outside the school? What kinds of things can school leaders do to really cultivate that culture within the school? You know, I think it's really important that that we, we talk about teachers knowing their students. I think it's, it's important for leaders in a school to know their teachers and know, know their passions and what they're interested in and help connect those places for them. So having the resources and the places where you know you can recommend for teachers to go to sort of join into those communities of practice together. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then if there aren't those opportunities within your school that you're creating the space for them. Because I always say, you know, we have time for what we value. So if we value growth and we and value working together, we can make that happen anywhere. So it's just a it's just a matter of finding the time for it and putting it together and making sure that you're asking for what your teachers need. What's some advice around transitioning to utilizing communities of practice, making sure that that's acknowledged as kind of more formal PD, that this is acknowledged, that this is kind of part of a professional learning pathway? Like, how do you really develop that culture of learning inside the school building and across school buildings? Teachers know what they need. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I think listening to what they're doing and getting that documentation back from them that, hey, I'm using this Twitter chat and here's what I've learned. Um, I've spent there and here's what I've been able to do in my classroom, for example, would be something that should be acknowledged and given credit for, even if it's not the traditional sit and get of a PD. And also, you know, when they're taking courses and they're getting um, badges awarded, micro credentials, like those should be converted into CEUs. You know, it, mm-hmm. it might not be something that's always done within the school building. But if teachers are seeking it out, whether it's free or not, that Mm -hmm. should be acknowledged. In terms of the school leader, when they want to really cultivate the teachers in their building, what are ways that this approach can help with building those teacher leadership pathways inside of schools? I think that administrators need to be open to what's happening outside of their school walls or Mm -hmm. even sometimes within but that they're listening to what's happening and that they're letting 
the teachers have a space to share that out with one another so that they can know where they can go when maybe it's a great Twitter chat, or maybe it's this professional blog that they need to subscribe to, or maybe it's actually taking a course together, but that the teacher, that the teachers have an opportunity to tell the leaders what they need and that the leaders try to make that work for them and for their school. And so that we can sort of break down those ways of like, it's always been done this way and move on to something that's really transformational for their teachers. These kinds of approaches will also really help with teacher engagement, will help with teacher retention. We know teacher salary is a big issue across the country, but uh, especially in the U.S., but I think it's really more about that autonomy and really feeling respected um, and that your expertise is exp- um, respected. And I think this could go a long way where teachers feel listened to, what they need, and then to the extent that these community leaders have, or school leaders, really have kind of a sense of how these function, do a little bit of research on their own, either in Participate or on Twitter. Obviously, there's SatChat. I mean, there's lots of different types of Twitter chats for school leaders at the school and district level. And once they can experience that, then I think that they start to cultivate that within their school building. Absolutely. And I've seen a lot of schools who will try this together as a school. You know, maybe you have a lot of people who haven't kind of ventured out into those areas, but they decide to do that as a school. And what a great way to honor your teachers as a leader by saying, like, here's some things that that I'm going to step out and do you know, that's new for me. And I'd love you to join in. And how can we do this better together? I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, that's a great way to end. And I think that's great advice for everyone out there about cultivating that sense of learning within their building. And that this is really um, sort of the way that people learn, right? It's a social learning process. Okay, so Kim, we hope you're going to join us again and bring us back stories from your school and also um, all the work that you're doing as a community leader and a peer review leader um, here at Participate. Absolutely. Thank you, Julie. I'm sad that this series has ended. This is, was a really fun um, topic to dive into. So I think we'll we'll have we'll have Kim oh, back yeah. for sure. <laughs> so what was great about Kim's discussion was also about the isolation of the school leader and how school leaders can find their own communities. I know sometimes I've been at district meetings and it's a principal meeting and it's almost impossible to control because the principals are so almost seem so hungry to just talk to each other because yes. they never get the chance. So I was. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've I've lived that world. Yeah. Um, you you feel isolated sometimes as a school leader. And then when you can connect with other school leaders that have the same, um, you know, challenges or opportunities for growth and opportunities to learn something, then you want to be able to find that that niche of people so that you can grow as a as an administrator. And you're right. I can remember being in principal meetings and oh yeah, we we didn't want to we yeah, didn't want to start and just want to talk to one another. Talk. Yeah. Because yeah. And, and learning is social. It yeah. definitely is. And I know it's that's always a struggle with um, a principal's school day and and the schedule and even district administrators of finding that time. So sometimes mm-hmm. conferences or or these meetings are the only place. But that's that can be the role of the online community, which yes. is that, you know, you could be on Sunday night. And I know one of the most active Twitter hashtags is SatChat. And these are superintendents. They get up Saturday morning and they are on there. Right. Um, and the active members of that of that hashtag are really just speak really powerfully about the impact that's had on their professional life, um, just having that access to other superintendents every week. Right. And that's what that community of practice can do. Yeah. Um, I think about the participate leadership community mm-hmm. of practice. Um, we're a principal 
principal or a school leader can can actually join that community of practice yeah. and make a choice around what their learning needs are and and dive right into to learning as well as collaborating with others, sharing resources, getting the support from a peer review person as well as a community facilitator. So um, that would not be a feeling of isolation to being a part of a community of practice such as that. It was really uh, great to get that chance to talk with Kim, and we'll, we'll invite her back for sure. Sounds like a wonderful idea. All right. See you next time, Allison. All right. Goodbye. The Agile Admin wants to hear from you. We would love to include your stories of successes and challenges. Reach out to us through email at agileadmin at participate.com. A-G-I-L-E-A-D-M-I-N at participate.com. Or via Twitter using the hashtag AgileAdmin. The Agile Administrator is produced by Caroline Weeks and edited by Aaron Kane. Our theme music was written by David Hill at Trailblazer Studios. The podcast is a production of Participate, a place to learn, create, and collaborate. I'm Julie, and join us next time on The Agile Administrator.